Canada Conversations is brought to you by Deloitte Canada, helping you navigate the complex challenges your company faces through recovery and enabling you to thrive in the new normal. To learn more, visit Deloitte.ca. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the November 13th, 2020 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. Well, folks, use whichever sports metaphor you'd like. Call it a hat trick or a three-peat, but whichever you choose, it still might not do Unifor President Jerry Diaz and his union justice. That's because during the last round of contract talks with the Detroit Three, they managed to land nearly $5 billion in new investment in Canadian auto assembly. We'll find out how and why and what it means to the Canadian auto industry and what the odds are that all three automakers follow through to the end on their promises when I speak with Kristen Jixik, the Vice President of Industry, Labor, and Economics at the Center of Automotive News Research in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Kristen, thanks for joining me on the show. I'm happy to be here. I have to ask, what's your reaction now that the Detroit Three are spending nearly $5 billion in retooling or upgrading uh, factories in Ontario? Well, it was a very large investment in this round of Unifor talks, um, I think $4.7 billion uh, Canadian dollars. Um, it amounts to almost 40% of the amount of investment in by automakers of all kinds, not just the Detroit Three, in Canada since 2009. Um, so this is a significant amount of money. Um, and for, uh, you know, very uh, top-selling products like a GM, the pickup trucks, um, and for new technologies with the electric vehicle commitments for Ford and, and FCA. Were you surprised at all by this? Uh, I, I was kind of taken aback. I won't lie. I mean, it is every automaker investing $1 billion or more in at least one plant each. I just wonder, were you, was this a surprise? Was it expected? Uh, I just wonder where it came from. Um, it was somewhat surprising, yes. Uh, you know, the um, the automakers, when they uh, negotiate here in the United States, um, they they make these big commitments, you know, six, seven, eight billion dollars across the whole U.S. Um, there's many, many more plants in the U.S. than there are in Canada. Um, so, you know, those sorts of investment dollars, um, you know, they may be on. I haven't actually done it about whether they're, you know, scale-wise to the number of plants that are in Canada. But Canada, Canadian plants have not gotten this type of investment in a while, except for Windsor. Windsor has gotten um, some big, significant investments when they. Um, uh, retooled for starting Pacifica um, in Windsor. They, they've brought down most of the automaker investment of, of the Detroit tree in Canada. Uh, someone told me this is like the Phoenix rising, that Canada is back in the um, sort of automotive world when it comes to investment. Do you agree with that assessment uh, now that it seems like everyone will be uh, on some pretty stable footing moving forward? It, it, it was this Did this signify a return to manufacturing in Canada? Because we often hear of automakers um, retaining or maintaining jobs, but in some of these cases, they might actually end up hiring. Yeah, and and that's you know a really big deal. Um, you know, the, some of these plants were you know didn't have product for the foreseeable future and were thought of you know being in danger of closing. So pulling back from the brink and getting a significant investment 
is a really strong signal. Um, you know, for the electric vehicle production, you know, it really depends on how um, how the market ex- acceptance of those products goes and whether those are going to be, you know, strong long-term job providers. Uh, you know, the plants here in the U.S. that are making all EVs, um, some of them are busting at the seams and some of them are uh, significantly underutilized. So, you know, we really have to see what is going to come of the market for electrified vehicles in the next few years as all of the automakers start rolling out just a, a wide variety of a plethora of products on every um, on every size class and, and platform um, across the whole market. There's, there's going to be just a whole bunch of competition for not just BEVs, battery electrics, but hybrids, um, mild hybrids and all forms of electrification in the car. In Ford's case, they're going to be building, they say, up to five electric vehicles in Oakville. And you just mentioned it, you know, some of the factories in the U.S. are bursting at the seams, but some of those or many of those build multiple EVs under the same roof at those factories. Is that the future right now, at least in the short term, that we see assembly plants build multiple vehicles, multiple electric vehicles under one roof just because there isn't demand for, say, one particular vehicle? Because we're used to seeing, you know, we we would call it the minivan plant or the edge plant or the uh, RAV4 plant, whatever it is that's being built there. But in this case, it's five vehicles under one roof. Is that where this is heading, at least in the short term? Well, you know, there's a there's a difference in the vehicle architecture for many of the electric vehicles. They're they're being built on they call it a skateboard, um, and you can do a lot to you know change the type of vehicle or the the use um, end use case for the vehicle um, by putting different top hats on on the skateboard. So the skateboard is a is a very flexible uh, basis for a vehicle, um, whereas you know the the traditional um, internal combustion engine platform is um, it's a little bit more difficult to, to have multiple vehicles coming out of the same plant. You know, companies like Honda have done this, um, has have great flexibility on, on their platforms and can produce vehicles that are, you know, subcompact cars and uh, mid-sized CVs on the same platform in the same plant and, and flexibly, um, fluidly between which, whichever thing is in demand at the time. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see... Um, differentiation in the in the EV market for, you know, trying to hit all these market sub-segments with, with a vehicle that fits everybody's needs. You, uh, you touched on it. Um, you know, auto assembly is based on market conditions. So if people want a certain vehicle, automakers build that certain vehicle or that certain style. Um, what are the chances that all three of these automakers follow through on all of these investments and that uniform members have stability for, say, the typical life cycle of a vehicle, which can run anywhere from seven to 10 years? Or is there still a lot of uncertainty looking forward um, at these pledges and promises by the automakers? Yeah, I think these are the best. Um, the pledges are you know, made in the best intention and the, you know, with the best, um, you know, very good faith <laughs> investments that sure. this is what the companies are committed to. Um, you know, a, a lot of things intervene in in you know the course of six seven eight years of a product run um you know i don't know if very many people in january knew we would be sitting through a pandemic this year (laughs) for example um and you know the um 
you know, the um, unions uh, and companies negotiated a number of commitments back uh, before the um, before the 2008-2009 uh, recession that those promises were not fulfilled because the recession intervened. Um, so, you know, business case, the business case and the market conditions can change through no fault of any of the partners who've, you know, made this commitment to these investments. And, you know, Unifor had to come to the table here too. It wasn't um, all, you know, the companies just grant them these investments. They, you know, they, they had to get something back. I don't know exactly what, um, but, you know, the, the negotiation goes both ways. So, you know, the companies were probably looking for uh, greater flexibility in how they staff those plants or um, other uh conditions in the in the contract so that that gave them confidence to make those investments as well but i think every i think everybody i think everybody came to the table with the best of intent that these these are actually going to happen but you know we don't control all the forces that are at play in the market and, and that leads me to this question one of the things that jumped out at me early um, particularly with the Ford deal, and maybe it's because I'm just naturally a cynic or, or a pessimist, but uh, a worst case scenario guy. But um, it's that Ford's work on that plant, it doesn't seem to begin until after this three year deal that was just signed expires. That seemed odd to me. Is, is that normal? And should that be a concern if you're a Ford Oakville worker? There have been a couple of cases where a uh, contract year. A contract made in a in a certain year has provisions that last beyond the term of that contract. Um, that's happened a few times in the past. It's it's an unusual um, a, uh, arrangement, obviously. And uh, when they come back to the table in 2023, things can uh, change. But you know they'll be closer to you know starting those investments and getting and getting those uh, upgrades in that plant by them. So, you know, I think there'll be indications before them um, about the direction of those investments. But yeah, I, you know, they're trying to hit a market at, at a particular time. So um, it, it's, it's not unheard of, but it is um, unusual to, to last be on the term of the agreement. Well, speaking of unusual, is there any sort of precedent for a plant being shut down seemingly for good only to be resurrected by the company less than a year later, because that's what happened in Oshawa when the last truck rolled off the assembly line in December 2019. And here we are in November 2020 and GM upon ratification and government support said, we're going in there and restarting that plant immediately as soon as we can. How surprising was that Oshawa announcement? Has that ever happened before? It's happened, but again, that's a very rare situation. So you can look, you know, not that long ago, um, to Detroit Hamtramck was also shut down in those November 2018 uh, announcement that General Motors made. And then Detroit Hamtramck came back uh, very strong in the next contract with the UAW um, with almost $3 billion U.S. investment in that one plant. Um, and that's now going to be Factory Zero at the headquarters of you know, a large share of General Motors uh, battery electric vehicle production in the United States is going to happen in that one plant. So that one came back from the brink. Um, back in 2008-2009, um, the previous owners of Chrysler had put the Sterling Heights assembly plant into the bankrupt assets of Chrysler when they went through the um, the bankruptcy proceedings. And then when FCA came to be and uh, Sergio Marchione bought that plant, out of the bankrupt assets and put it back into production and has, they've made tremendous investments in Sterling Heights. 
um, in order to make ram production at that plant. So, you know, there was there was two cases that weren't that long ago um, that, you know, it happens, but it doesn't happen very often. We'll hear more from Kristen after this short break. The COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the world's population and economy. Social distancing and self-isolation measures have taken consumers out of the auto retail market, while concern over worker safety continues in manufacturing facilities globally. An increasingly distressed supply base is facing the potential for large-scale liquidity issues, which may lead to increased M&A activity throughout the ecosystem. Significant uncertainty remains around the permanence of current consumer behaviors and the extent to which they will be able to re-engage with the sector. Through Deloitte's State of the Consumer Tracker series, we discuss timely data and trends and highlight key consumer insights. We also explore how behavioral preferences take shape over time to allow businesses to make strategic decisions in this dynamic market environment. The ongoing survey results are also available via an interactive dashboard, the Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker. Check in every two weeks to explore new consumer insights and emergent trends. One of the plants that um, is often underreported on or forgotten about or sort of put on the back burner is FCA in Brampton. There was some investment made. Um, The vehicles there are aging, but they get another few little updates and upgrades. What does the future hold for that plant? What sort of position is FCA Brampton in right now? You know, it's, it's a plant that I, you know, been concerned about for a number of years. The, um, you know, the product that they make, they sell very well. They make good profits on that product. Um, but you know, it's hard to know, you know, it's a very old platform. They haven't had a lot of investment in the plant and they're, you know, geographically pretty far from a lot of their suppliers and being encroached on by the greater Toronto metropolitan area that's growing up around them. So that makes logistics in and out of that plant a little tougher. Um, They're kind of landlocked too, for any kind of expansion that they might make on that site. Um, You know, it's still a concern, I think, but right now, you know, that's a very profitable vehicle and they're selling all they make. So it's good for another three years, it seems. Uh, how much did the new NAFTA, the USMCA, uh, play in these negotiations? Did it, in fact, make us more competitive with the new content rules and the, um, you know, the wage um, maximum or excuse me, the wage minimum of $16 an hour um, to North American uh, auto plants? Did, did that play at all in these contract talks and make Canada more attractive? It may have. I mean, it. It's not entirely clear, um, you know, if the, say, for instance, the truck volume at Oshawa, um, is that uh, net new truck volume? Um, There are three other truck plants in North America, or is that going to pull from one of uh, the volume from one of more of the other uh, three plants? So we don't know if that was, you know, GM putting uh, production in Canada because they can make the $16 an hour. where it would be much more challenging to do that at their plant in Silao. We don't know what the repercussions are for the other plants yet. Um, So it's possible. Um, You know, one thing that's pretty interesting is, you know, putting battery electrics on the Canadian side of the border. Um, I would expect that, you know, some of those would be exported to the United States or potentially even Mexico for sale, which means that those battery electric vehicles made there will have to comply with USMCA rules. And the, uh, battery electric vehicles that are currently made 
in North America have some of the lowest uh, U.S. and Canada content, according to the American Automobile Labeling Act. So it's a big, heavy lift to get the battery electric um, production to the 75% content in you know three to five years under the USMCA rules. So, you know, it's a commitment to bringing a lot more of the supply chain um, into North America. So when these contract talks were happening and the, the provincial government was at the table, Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, stood up and said he'd like to see Ontario Minerals um, be part of this supply chain. Could that be part of the reason automakers chose Ontario this time around for battery electric? Because we do have the resources in our mines uh, in Northern Ontario and there is potential to create sort of a supply chain of batteries right here in Ontario? Um, you know, that's a, a good question. And the, you know, the resources that are needed for batteries exist in many places. Um, we don't yet know what the supply chain is going to look like for Ford or FCA. Um, they uh, so far have been using uh, suppliers for batteries, whereas GM is bringing um, is, is integrated on batteries. GM has you know their own battery research and is um, building their own uh, battery production facility in Ohio uh, with LG Chem. Um, so you know it's it's not clear who they're going to identify as their suppliers and how. Um, how integrated they're going to need to be or want to be in the province of Ontario. But, you know, the, the lithium um, exists in a lot of different places. And, you know, certainly if the uh, Ontario government, Canadian government wants to put some money into um, making sure that they can extract those metals um, at a competitive rate, that, that might help. These are all three-year deals. So Unifor and their U.S. counterparts, the United Auto Workers, um, they'll both be negotiating with the Detroit Three at the same time in 2023. What does that potentially look like when two unions of that size are aiming for the same things, namely investment, um, at the same time? Um, you know, it's an interesting strategy. You know, it has been. I think. I think Unifor has been somewhat challenged by going. You know, the year after and then two years after for the Cami plant. Um, that the UAW negotiates. So, you know, the UAW is a larger union in comparison and has many more plants to fill uh, with investment. So, you know, they kind of suck up everything and all the oxygen in the room and leave, you know, very little. Um, but, you know, the companies know that they're going to go to the table with uniform next year and that they're going to be looking for investments as well. Um, this will, I think, you know, like I said, the, the unions have to give something away too. They have to compromise in order to, to attract these investments. And so I think it does set them up for um, a direct head-to-head, you know, what can we do to make this investment more competitive in Canada? Um, and, you know, there, there's a number of underlying factors that make Canada more competitive, such as national health care, for example. Um, but there's some bigger factors, like you have to meet the USMCA rules and... Um, because you're going to import them to the U.S. in larger volume. And there's a currency uncertainty. I mean, it's been fairly stable for the last few years, but it isn't always that way. And when uh, the loonie and the dollar are at par, Canada is ex- is very much more expensive for all aspects of production, not just labor, um, than is the U.S. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have to be considered when they go to the table together. Uh, now that these talks are behind Unifor and its president, Jerry Diaz, uh, only talks with General Motors regarding its Cami assembly plant, which builds the uh, Chevy Equinox remain. 
What's the outlook like there? Any chance Unifor tries to get Cami on the same uh, contract schedule as the the rest of their um, their uh, locals and and factories, or will Cami always remain sort of on its own schedule when it comes to contract negotiations? I have no idea um, whether that's part of the goal for Unifor to get them all lined up. It has been challenging. You know, the Cami plant was begun as a joint venture. The uh, work rules and um, you know, structure of their agreement is is significantly different than it is for Oshawa and St. Catharines. Um, so to harmonize the two agreements into one um, is is a pretty heavy lift. So I don't know if that's something that they want to take on, but um, it, you know, there's a lot of history uh, with Cami <laughs> and, sure. and the agreement that they have, which which you know the General Motors um, is is quite. Uh, fond of the agreement at Cami that it's it's gives them greater flexibility than they have with the agreement that they have in Oshawa. Well, that's true. It is unique in that, that they have job share there, so you don't always work the same job if you're on the line. So there's that in there, and some of the workers actually enjoy that. Um, and then, of course, there was the, the strike not long ago, so it's certainly a, a unique situation for Jerry to deal with on what I believe will be his last. Uh, set of contract negotiations before his term is up at uh, Unifor. Uh, I want to ask you this. What what do you expect the last two months of the year to look like for the auto industry in, in Canada and North America? Is it smooth sailing for the next two months? Rough waters ahead. Um, for example, here in Canada, Manitoba is going to implement some very severe restrictions on um, gatherings and businesses because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm just wondering what you foresee for the next couple months to end this year. Well, I think, um, you know, you're right to point out COVID uh, as being one of the big uh, wild cards in all of this. We've seen much stronger vehicle demand in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, um, than we would have expected as we tipped into this recession and the and the COVID pandemic started to take hold um, here in North America. Um, you know, the cases are spiking here in the U.S. as well. Um, we've had, uh, you know, the Republican governor of Utah did a statewide mask mandate this week. Um, you know, these were areas that weren't affected in the early stages of COVID that are now um, full-blown outbreaks. Uh it's possible that we could see some, you know, pullback from, you know, our dealerships essential and, you know, and people get, you know, and, and, you know, job losses starting to impact the people who've been relatively insulated thus far. So, you know, the people who buy new vehicles um, on average are um, over 50 years old and on average make more than 80 or a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, many of those folks have been people who can work from home and who, you know, they might've taken a small pay cut, but, um, but their financial situation has not been changed dramatically in this, um, in this downturn, especially, you know, as the stock market has recovered some and housing prices have stayed high, you know, these folks have, you know, household wealth has, has remained relatively intact. Uh, the white collar layoffs have started to, um, increase in uh, the last couple of weeks and and the pandemic continues unabated so it's really those factors of you know the underlying economics and and the spread of the outbreak and you know quite frankly here in the u.s political uncertainty about you know our smooth transition of power to whoever will be occupying the white house in january 
um, all of that uh, is difficult to predict for how, how that will impact the auto industry. But, you know, people... Uh, People buy new cars when they feel confident about the future. That's the biggest thing, isn't it? They have to feel confident and and feel they are stable in their financial uh, situation or their or their career at the moment. Isn't that what really drives it? At least for the next three to five years of <laughs> <laughs> the term of the loan that they may have. But yep. um, yeah, so they're uh, yeah, you need to have some confidence that you're you're going to maintain your standard of living for for the foreseeable future in order to get into a new vehicle. And, um, you know, so far that has been uh, a good bargain for a lot of folks um, in North America who, you know, have held up automotive sales relatively well. Um, and, and profitability has been uh, impacted too. You know, the companies have just reported profits. Chrysler has record profits uh, this uh, last quarter of reporting. And, you know, much lower volume. So very profitable and lower volumes has, has, has done well for the auto industry. And, you know, we have to see how that, that can continue and whether we can really get um, the COVID pandemic under control. That's job one. Yes, it is. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And it's in, you know, every province over here seems to be dealing with it as well. So it is certainly job number one. It puts everyone at ease when that is under control and it sort of makes the economy um, move a little more freely when, when things are under control. So listen, Kristen, I appreciate uh, your time and your insight. Always a great conversation. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We reached Kristen at her office in Michigan. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glayson at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody. <laughs>